Okay. All right. Wonderful. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Alyssa. It's lovely to see you again. It is lovely to see you again. How have you been? <laughs> oh, it's been quite a month, but I'm doing well, thank you. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Welcome back to your own space. <laughs> welcome to Sarah's space. <laughs> I will welcome myself to my own space. Thank you. It's starting to feel more like home for me, I think. <laughs> I'm glad. I must admit it's uh, still a bit of a novelty for me, but I am certainly enjoying these conversations. It's been really nice. We both have been listening back to the last few times we spent together and yeah. both enjoying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel uh, I feel like we're starting a discourse that needs to be started and it'll be lovely to hear more feedback and hear what people maybe would like us to address over time. But mm-hmm. uh, I still have lots of thoughts burning holes in my mind right now. So I think we're okay for the time being. We're hot for content. Yes, we are. <laughs> Yes. So today, mm-hmm. I think we should talk about, it's not my idea, <laughs> but I think we should talk about how we take care of ourselves. Oh, isn't that called self-care, Melissa? I'll write that down. <laughs> self-care. I actually, I, I, I am going to apologize because I don't mean to make fun of these terms that become the term of the century. There's one that has also bothered me for about 10 years now in the psychology professions and the counseling professions. Um, Have you ever heard the word, the piece that we're dealing with here is, as in piece of the pie, P-I-E-C-E. Yeah, so it it became a catchphrase. Just like before that, it was um, finding your inner child. Right. You need to find your inner... So there's always been something that people would get, just like with trend setting, Mm -hmm. and they'll get on this mindset and for me I just find oh come on people use different words use your own words but self-care is actually very accurate I mean it's yourself and you're caring I hope so does self-care for you mean face masks like it means for everyone else (laughs) (laughs) yes weekly trips to the spa well you know I I was going to say I wish but I don't wish because it's just not it's just not in me um a face mask sounds intriguing, mm-hmm. just just simply because of the comedic effect. But no, self care for me is sleep is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually am apt to lecture many a student and my own daughter uh, and my husband on the principles and the need and the beauty and the benefits of sleep and plenty of it. I must admit, every human being on the planet, although we all need sleep, and apparently it's scientifically proven that six hours is too little, and seven to seven and a half are just enough to get by mm-hmm. in a reparative effect, meaning that your muscles will regenerate if there's any minuscule tears, which they usually are if you're doing elite athletic activity. Also, that your brain cells have time to regenerate. Also, that everything just has nerve endings have time to release and relax. Um these these things are a scientifically proven aspect, but I think for each human being, we need to acquaint ourselves with what we actually really need for ourselves. Mm. And I have always been a sleeper. I have always, I was just actually just saying to my daughter uh, before we came to get you today that I said when I was younger and I got sad, I would sleep. I would mm. sleep longer. It wouldn't mean I go to sleep in the middle of the day. I did nap for a very long time. For a child, I napped until I was five and six. And I put myself, yeah, put myself down for a nap in the afternoon for a couple hours. And I still go to bed at eight or wow. eight thirty. It was just kind of like a thing where I asked my mom about that. I said, Did I did I seem to what was that about? And she said it was as though every aspect of you was so alive when you were awake 
that the only way you could stay that way, and you sort of knew it innately as you put yourself to sleep. Hmm. And you, I was a real sleep, sleep, sleeper. Deep, <laughs> deep, deep sleeper, deep. sprawler, just, you know, drool coming out, of the, out, out. And uh, so I was talking to my daughter about that, and I was saying, yeah, it's interesting. I now think back to in my late, late teens, or literally 19, 19 and a half, and then at another time in my mid-20s, I had some side periods in my life, and I just slept more. Mm-hmm. So I know that that actually is oftentimes a, a warning sign of depression, but I, I'm not a depressive person. So it wasn't actually depression for me. It was kind of like a, no, we're not going to get depressed. Mm-hmm. So we're going to sleep for, and when I say sleep a lot, I mean 11 hours. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would sleep. So if I went to bed at 10 and I'm up at a little, you know, <laughs> maybe nine, closer to 10. Do you still sleep around 11 hours? Oh goodness. No, no. Um, the birth of my daughter <laughs> brought a new era. Um, one I will never look backwards on. That's absolutely been brilliant, but it has definitely changed my sleeping pattern. I would say I'm lucky and delighted if I get eight to eight and a half. And I try for that because that does allow me to still operate at the level I'd like to operate of cognizance and humor and awareness and physical ability. You just, I was at this age and also just my expectations of my ability to operate at a certain level are so high that if they're less than that, I just think you need more sleep. That's Mm -hmm. the first thing out of my mind. So yeah, some people would say to themselves, oh, I, I need to get outside more or I need more food, or I need less sugar, or I need less alcohol, or there's many different, you know, mitigating factors. Mine is always the first one I'll always mention will be sleep to myself when I'm having those inside voice conversations, which happen frequently. I read the other day, or someone told me the other day that professional soccer players must sleep for 14 hours a night. Somebody told me that. Well, that's a fact I would want to maybe do some checking. I'll do some double checking on that 14 hours. That is a long time. That's a lot of sleep. And why professional soccer players over professional hockey players? Well, this person is just obsessed with soccer. Soccer. So, See, I feel that it would be fair to say that an elite athlete that operates at such a high adrenal overload, (laughs) practically, you know, in the moment of the, the, the peak of their game, and soccer players are on the field for longer periods of time than they are for hockey or for football. And there's not as many stops and starts, mm. but it's more spread out too as a game. So I'm thinking, although you're on, you're, you know, you've got to make sure that your adrenaline's running enough that you can stop a ball from going into your, et cetera. 14 hours seems like a long, long time. Although I wouldn't mind just going up with that. You know, Sarah has recently discovered that in order to operate the career at the level she'd like to operate, I must have 14 hours of sleep a night. That would be a contractual obligation. Oh, you know I'd never get anything done. That wouldn't work. So, yes. So, other than sleeping, yes. what other sort of ways? Food. Food is very, very important. And I think, I think it's fair to say that all human beings have... Uh, I'll say a a mixed relationship with food. I think that when one gets involved at a young age in something that has a lot of time spent in front of a mirror or in front of someone like a coach or a teacher or a guide that you must somehow please, and when someone is doing something as exacting as an art form, but I I don't want to take anything away from because it's pretty exacting to do ice dancing. It's pretty exacting to do uh, slalom. It's pretty exacting to do anything at an elite level. Mm -hmm. I think it's really impossible. I don't want to say that. That's negative. I think it is very difficult to maintain a neutral relationship with food, your body, and the mirror, and approval. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I think that we quite often start speaking about our body in third person, almost like it's this errant child or misbehaving thing that's not doing, I mean, yeah, my leg won't even do blah, blah, or I tried to do this and I wasn't able to, as though somebody has done it to us. I think it's a way of dealing with the the innate struggle for perfection and, and excellence without it turning into an immediate emotional and psychological damage. It it's masked basically because it's the same thing but you blame your body and actually finally I bring up my daughter again she did that this morning when she said my leg won't do what I want it to do and I said oh and can I meet your leg and she didn't know what I was getting to and I went down to shake hands with her leg and she's what are you doing I said well if your leg won't do it it must have a personality and thereby it must have a name and why don't I meet it full autonomy (laughs) She, she gave me quite the look to let me know that she knew what I was getting at and was going to move into another direction. <laughs> so I guess all that to say that uh, with full disclosure and, and honesty, I have had my own up and down relationship with food. Uh, it's sort of mid, I will say around 16, I definitely was on a very disciplined path towards anorexia. Um, and I, I say that with tongue in cheek, because obviously I'm not saying it's a good thing, but the natural self-discipline that I had, the natural ability to uh, uh, be quite extreme in my self-discipline. So if I said, no, I will not do this again, I actually would not do that again. Mm-hmm. And uh, the desire so badly to be uh, accepted in a field that I really did not have the natural physique for. And also probably a little bit, at that time, I felt like there was so much happening in my life, you know, environmentally, scholastically, uh, with dance, with my family, that it felt because it, it always goes back to a little bit of that control. You you want to maintain this ultimate control. Mm-hmm. So I started that path then, and I definitely achieved it. By the time I was eighteen, I went away to Europe, and then the relationship immediately became soured by two things. One of them was I was unbelievably homesick mm-hmm. and uh, sorrowfully homesick. I mean, tears every single day, and food became this thing that actually flipped and became solace as opposed to an enemy. And so I went right away into the other path of bulimia very quickly, which is quite often the the way that it goes and uh, put on 15 pounds and something like, I don't even recall. I tend to blur a lot of those facts now, but I'm going to say about six weeks. It was fast. Mm. And uh, I hated the way I looked, obviously. And I shouldn't say obviously because it's snotty, but I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like the way I felt. I didn't like where my self-worth was, which was basically at the bottom of the barrel because not so much because of the superficial aspect. That was a whole other thing to swallow. It was because I was so disgusted with my behavior. Mm. I mean, I'm too smart for this. What am I doing this for? And how how could I have first gone that way? And Because I knew about anorexia. I knew about bulimia. In fact, I used to counsel peers against it when I was 16 and 17. In fact, I wrote an award-winning essay in grade 11 about it, Ah. against it. Yeah, yeah. So I was pretty uh, disgusted with my behavior. And I went away to dance in Florida when I was 20. And we had, well, I'll be kind and call her a bit of a nut as our director. Uh, She'd come from England and for some reason landed in Fort Walton Beach, Florida and, and was director of this company. She weighed us in before every single class. And there were two girls already who clearly had eating disorders. And I ended up befriending them because you just tend to attract certain people that feel like you'll understand. Mm -hmm. And it was something that snapped me out of it. It was, I, 
thought to myself, I am tired of being sick. I'm tired of being obsessed about my body and food. And it's so boring and it's so unhealthy. And I'm ashamed. I was ashamed of, of how low I had gone in my own self-estimation. And I, yeah, I snapped out of it in the sense that I didn't need to go to a professional counselor. I, I never got to the point where I had to be hospitalized. I'm very lucky. I do have good genes. So I'm pretty solid. It took a while to start eating way down to the really dangerous marks. And by that point I was already flipping around to bulimia. Mm. And, uh, in Florida, I actually ended up getting injured, which was because of the anorexia in Europe. I had been in an audition. I sprained my ankle. I thought it was just a sprain. I shook it off and I kept dancing. It actually turned out to be a stress, stress fracture, but I didn't know it at the time. So two years later, it had gotten to the point where I couldn't actually point my foot anymore. And I was living in the States, which of course has no healthcare plan, et cetera. So I'll, I'll make the story short. I went to the doctor. He gave me three choices, steroid injections, put your, a cast on for six weeks or have surgery. So I picked the cast. I'd never had a cast on in my life. So I had this fiberglass black cast in the middle of the summer in Florida oh. and for six weeks and I was going nuts. And I, I, the director said, well, don't even come to the studio. You're depressing everybody. <laughs> she was a really, really lovely lady. Um, so I didn't, I couldn't go to the studio and she gave my part away anyway. So it wasn't like I was going to be performing this part that I was so excited to have. And uh, so I went to the beach one day and I couldn't really walk on the beach because of this cast and it was so itchy and it was hot. And I remember looking at this couple and they were a bodybuilding couple. And I remember thinking to myself right away, my first thought was derisive. It was just kind of, oh. Honestly, because when I was younger, people constantly said to me, wow, you really have the musculature for bodybuilding. Have you ever worked out? You know, and the guys would think they'd be complimenting me when they say, wow, you know, where do you work out? And, and it would be so insulting to me. And I'm a ballet dancer. And they would always inevitably say, oh, I thought ballet dancers were really skinny. And then, of course, I would take that as a stab to the heart. Oh, I am in my heart really skinny. And then I think, oh, my goodness, it's such a twisted mindset. Anyways, long story short, I looked at these two and it precipitated an idea in me that had been kind of stewing. And that was, why don't you go to a local gym and find something to do with your time? Because you still have one able-bodied leg and you can't stand not exercising and you're trying so hard to stay healthy in your mind. And I was, mm -hmm. and I was eating well and part of eating well. And I do want to say this right off the bat was I had to snap out of my despotic uh, self-discipline in which I would refuse to let myself have anything sweet or you will not have and you will because I realized that was the unhealthy mindset that got me started on the anorexic path in the first place mm. so I then I it's kind of like a I made myself have to have a weekly treat day and then I thought no you can't do that either you can't have to if the if the feeling just comes upon you and you're in the middle of shopping and you look down at some yogurt covered almonds you say I need to have those get them. Mm. So I used to have these little, I must have, oh my goodness, I think about how many people I frightened in that store called food world <laughs> with, this, with my conversation. No, no, not with my purchases, just with my little conversation. I'd be in front of a, you know, my hands on my hips, a stern expression on my face, looking at something that I wanted to have. And I'd probably be thinking, well, no, no, yes. Oh, just get it. You know, yeah, I'm pretty sure the conversations came on the outside. Anyways, I, um, I did find a local gym I walked in the door. I'll never forget. It was like something out of a movie because the shafts of sunlight came beaming in so that they just created the, you know, the light in the dark, that, that Kiara scroll that happens where you can't actually see clearly. Uh -huh. And I was looking, I was thinking, what am I seeing? And this man comes forward into the light and I realized, oh, he looked like he could have been a relative. He was tall, broad, muscular, freckled, redhead. And I went, oh my goodness. His name was Skip. 
And he right away, he, he literally looked at me with lights shining in his eyes. He was so excited. And it's the funniest thing for me because never in my life have I been looked at in that way. And it was not remotely romantic or sexual or I want you on that level. It was, wow, look at the way you, and I've never, like I said, I've never had anyone look at me that way. And it was the, it was the most, I have to say it was this incredible warmth of, I don't know, I don't, it wasn't confidence, but it was this wow, people, there's people out there that like my natural physique. Mm. And it was obviously something very healing that had to have happened for me because it ended up being such a positive experience. He immediately introduced me to his girlfriend, Star. So it was Skip and Star. Oh my gosh. Who looked like the antithesis of me in the sense that she was tiny, small framed, um, naturally designed to be about 105 pounds soaking wet. And she wanted to be a bodybuilder. But she wanted to do it. They were both all, they were all about the all natural competitions, no steroids. That's what he right away said, are you interested? He wanted that day. He was taking me. Oh, he took down my information. He was just, how long are you in town for? The next competition's in September. You're not leaving town to Austria. This is fun. He was so excited. Anyways, I went to the gym for the six weeks I was in the cast and then for three months in total. And I just made up my own little circuit. I made it almost no weights whatsoever, just light, light weights, mm-hmm. high reps, got my cardiovascular up. I rode the bicycle with the cast because that was easy enough to do. I couldn't do anything else with the cast on with my legs in that level. I disappointed Skip sorely and I will always, my heart goes out to him and I apologize to him deeply, but he helped me so much when he tried to put, I don't even remember, but it was over a hundred pounds on the uh, bench press, but sorry, it's leg press. I said, please, please just show me how much you can do. And I said, no, are you kidding me? Knowing my legs, they'll, you know, I'll, I'll walk out of here with 75 inch quadriceps. I'll never be able to stretch my leg for an arabesque again. He didn't quite understand the relevance of that, but he was always open to me just doing what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And it was a wonderful experience. And that I think sealed me onto a path where my relationship with food, my relationship with exercise, my relationship with self-discipline and my understanding that I really needed to look at myself so much more holistically and so far out of the, oh, all the things that aren't me anyways, which is all about, well, what does it look like? You know what? I mean, any student that ever listens to this is going to roll their eyes because I've said that a thousand times. Stop looking at it. Feel it. Mm -hmm. What does it feel like for you? Because if all we care about is what it looks like, then we need a mirror or someone to approve of us all the time. And that's no way to live, right? And so I think that that episode in Florida was kind of like the, I clo- gently closed the, the book on that chapter of my life. And I'm very grateful. I'm very lucky. And I certainly don't see this as everyone's path. And I'm not condoning not getting intervention of a medical variety if one feels like they're really struggling. Uh, that was just, that was luckily enough the path I had. So all that to say that my relationship with food now is unique because I think that each of ours has to be unique. I don't have any food allergies. I have food sensitivities in the sense that I, I haven't really been able to digest peanuts since I was about 12. Hmm. So I don't, it, I'm not allergic to them. I'm not anaphylactic. Nothing desperate is going to happen to me. I just get sick, yucky tummy. And that's been basically it. Everything else, oh, and I'm a vegetarian. Uh, sorry, I say that offhandedly. I've been a vegetarian since I was 12. Mm-hmm. So long, long time. It's kind of, I, I just assume that everyone <laughs> was that. Sorry. Okay, world. She's a vegetarian. <laughs> and I think some people try to call it vegan because 
my vegetarianism is quite picky, mm-hmm. but that's the way I've always eaten. Mm-hmm. I'm just picky. I just have certain things I like and certain things I dislike. They are not based on calorie counting or, uh, I, I guess, perception from the outside world. It's literally about taste and texture. Mm-hmm. I don't like creamy things because I don't like creamy things. Uh, I don't like greasy things because I don't like greasy things. Uh, fast food and I have never had a relationship. So, yeah, I guess that in a, in a nutshell, food, I I do talk to a lot of young students about the fact that I don't believe in diets. I don't believe in one diet. You know, when when those diets come along, these fads, and they say everyone should be and fill in the blank. And I look around at humanity and I think, you have the audacity to tell me, me looking and feeling and, and cellularly, uh, that's not a word, having the cellular structure that I have and the metabolism that I have and the composition that I have and the genetics that I have should have the exact same food as this person who's standing next to me that's six foot four and shaped like a willow tree. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not, that's not on. And that, and maybe they're six foot four shaped like a willow tree and they don't do any exercise. That's just the way they are. So I feel as though, no, no. So I happen to follow a very high vegetable and plant protein diet now because a couple of years ago I did get diagnosed with adrenal fatigue or the precursors to adrenal fatigue, mm. just with the schedule and the stress of not enough sleep and doing too much and physically being so active and I was suffering and my protein intake was not good enough. So now it's higher, uh, probably considered pretty high for the average female. It's at 60 grams, uh, which can be hard and not depending on the day and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do still have treats. I drink occasionally, usually socially at home. I don't drink when I'm out. When I drink, it's white wine tends to be in the hotter weather and red wine in the winter. It's just kind of almost like a bearer. Minus the hibernation, although that sounds really appealing too. Um, <laughs> I like berries as well. And I have treats really now, I have to say, it's completely when I feel like it. So it turns out to be probably fairly cyclical to my period. So it's about once a month. And I'll eat some dark chocolate. I might have some black licorice. Those are my two things. And then I'm done. I like salt. So I like salty pistachios. And I like uh, edamame with salt on it. And that's about it for the salt. So I, I, I think that's, I mean, that's my thing. That's not saying that's the recipe for anybody else. Mm-hmm. But that works for me and allows me to operate at the level I want to operate at. That's not to say that I don't wake up some days and feel like a giant wallowing um, underside of a gray whale. But we probably, every human being on the planet has those moments and I think that it's really important to recognize that every human being on the planet has those moments and to not think that anyone's walking around with this perfect sense of self and perfect um, comfort with their own uh, superficial beauty or their, even their, the way they're feeling. Because usually those, that feeling that I just said, the blubbery underbelly of the gray whale, is usually related to how I'm feeling inside. Mm-hmm. So it's usually sluggish and slow and maybe bloated and maybe exhausted. And that the two sort of hold hands. It's so interesting with food because it's really something you have to figure out for yourself, especially when you're young. There's so much information. And, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's a, an amazing, uh, that just sort of encapsulates all the blah, blah, blah that I just did because it's it's true. And I feel that that, is, that has to be emphasized because so many people feel like they have the answer for somebody else. And how can you? I mean, even, even my own child, I'm, I'm 
I'm guiding her, absolutely, and I'm setting a, a vegetarian structure. But at a young age, she showed the desire to try fish. So she's a pescatarian now, and that's what she needs, and she loves it. And why would I take that away from her saying, oh, no, no, not that salmon is remotely bad for you, but why would I remove that just because I felt like I should impose my will upon her or what I think is right? Mm-hmm. And I think that it's uh, it's a tricky process. And I think that as a parent, when you're working with a, a young, especially a teenager that's trying to work out what they're going to eat, the fears about, especially if they're an athlete or a dancer, you're worried about them eating enough. And you're worried about the influences that they might be experiencing looking in the mirror or being next to somebody that's perceived as a better body type than them or whatever, what, what have you. But I think that it's also important to keep an open dialogue within the realms of reason and expense. I always talk about that with my students. I say, you ladies have no idea how expensive it is to eat healthily. Yeah. It is, it's atrocious nowadays. When, we, when I was a kid, if you remember me saying, my mom had a garden, we had eggs, we had chicken. I don't eat eggs anymore, but as a child I did. And we had chicken coop and we had the garden and we barely ate meat and we really didn't have to buy much. I, we did do grocery shopping, but I understand cost of living has changed, but it is excruciatingly expensive to eat nowadays. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when my students are saying to me, oh, well, I thought I would try this protein shaker or this protein bar. And I just say to them that that protein bar, that's what, 15 grams of protein and not even the length of my hand is $3 and 49 cents. That's one tiny little meal. That is not a full meal. And you can't expect your parents to just buy you cases of that, <laughs> you know, and be okay with that or, or protein shakes. I, th- I think they're, I have one every day. I think it's important to have, but at the same time, that's a $50 container of protein. Yeah. So I, th- I, I think that it's just important to put it all into perspective and work at it. If you're still at the age where you need to have groceries purchased for you, if you're within a family structure is work at it in a diplomatic and compatible and cooperative fashion, not to dictate what you will or won't eat and not to be dictated to, mm-hmm. but to have it as a, a, well, let's see what we can, how we can compromise that. Okay. Well, I'm not willing to buy fill in the blank, but we can do this instead. And, and also I have stressed with students many a time in the past. It's important that you self-prepare that's huge self-care. So for instance, they'll say to me, what happens if I get home? So many of them get home so late at night mm-hmm. and they're starving because they've just barely snacked in between classes or sometimes they have literally no break for four or five hours. So if, if they even shove something in as they're running from studio to the studio, you know it's not digesting properly and they might be running on adrenaline, but by the time they get into the car, they're starving. It's 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. It's not an ideal time to be eating. So we, we were just talking about things they could have lying around, so to speak, that isn't a bag of chips or, you know, processed cookies or granola bars or things. And that's important. And I said, it's so easy to cut up a bunch of veggies, stick them in a Ziploc bag, keep them in your crisper to have uh, almonds, raw almonds, or you can bake them, but don't put salt on them, have them laying around, have them in your dance bag. So you're just, you're eating them in the car on the way home, have some rice cracker, cr- crackers, <laughs> rice <true>. crackers. <laughs> post-workout pre-workout me, that was a wonderful malaprops um <laughs> i will commend myself on that one that was uh, rice crackers <laughs> what we were going yes rice then. crackers and just the other day i had a student ask me specifically what type to buy mm. because there's a brand that quaker puts out mm-hmm. that is the junkiest rice you can buy mm-hmm. basically puffed to extinction with salt and butter and sometimes I'm sure sugar added. I go to the natural foods aisle and superstore and there's two types. One of them are with salt and without salt. 
and they're multigrain and they're, you know, they're still a, a half inch thick and just have those with almond butter on top. And if you're allergic to nuts, that's a whole other bag of snakes to work with. If you're allergic to milk products, as you are shaking your head mm-hmm. or nodding your head. Uh, yes, because I said to them also, they get a plain yogurt and throw in some uh, homemade muesli is great. I've given them tons of recipes that I got from someone who I'd like to have as a guest sometime on the show, who's a former student who's become a holistic uh, nutritionist and her information is fantastic. And she's constantly giving out recipes and ideas for a lot of snacks that are prepared for six or seven days in advance, which is ideal because you're, I don't think leaving it to the behest of your parents is a cool idea. I really Mm -hmm. think being independent and, and self-reliant is good to learn at a young age. And it also really does allow your parents to appreciate where you're coming from more because they will take it more seriously if you're not sitting there snapping your fingers waiting for them to do everything that you want to do. Mom, where's my protein powder? Yeah, where, um, <laughs> I need a massage. When I was about 13 or so, I had lots of yeah allergies and sensitivities growing up. And I, I grew up in the era of pizza pops and yes. every possible convenience junk. food junk food you can yeah. think of and i had and i and no one really knew what was in anything either yeah. which yeah. is embarrassing to to think back on now but i did this thing for a while i remember i thought oh i'm sick of being sick i don't yeah. want to be sick anymore i want to feel good so i used to right to, at the end right before i went to bed i'd write down everything i ate in a day and then wow. i would just make mention if i felt good that day if I was sick or not oh, sick of how my energy was that's an idea and then and after a while I started to notice have a, a better idea of yeah. what was going on yeah. and that was that was huge for me actually yeah. and then I I knew what was good for myself yeah and I knew what was not good for myself yeah. pizza pops were not on the not on the, <laughs> not on the pro list <laughs> well it's interesting too because students have mentioned at times uh wanting to have you know a higher lean body count to have more musculature showing more striations and less body fat and and that's something i am going to mention right now is this and i tell them every single time you might remember that when we were doing an anatomy class when you guys were very young and i mentioned that in puberty it is normal and I, i'm going to use that word and i'm going to capitalize it to gain for a female 10 pounds that is a very normal weight gain oh mm-hmm. obviously it sometimes comes on um obtrusively and rudely and it might just all appear in your chest it might all appear in your bum it might appear just sort of sketchily divided between the two but more often than not it's like a layer it's almost they'll call it baby fat you know some people when they think they're being endearing uh, and I say that with a frown on my face because that is so not what you want to hear at 14 oh you look so cute with your baby fat Mm, thank you uh so going through that process healthily means that you just accept and know that Mm -hmm. and know that that's your body's way of becoming a woman and then it will sort it all out if you stay healthy and active but if you suddenly freak out and think oh my goodness I'm getting fat and you restrict your diet or or follow idioms of thinking that are are so you know extreme and and restricted you're gonna end up in a lot of trouble Crash and burn. Crash and burn, yeah. And, yeah. and actually, it is a time, too, to expand your fat cell fat cell storage so that when you get older, those fat cells are sitting there waiting to be used, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very difficult time of life, and it's so important to maintain compassion to oneself during that time period, mm-hmm. which I talk about a lot. 
but it is important for people that are around young people going through that to be compassionate and not, I, I, I sometimes feel like adults can act as though, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. And, you know, and then get so distant from it and so cold and heartless. And I think, oh my goodness, do you remember? Did you go through that so gracefully and wonderfully? I'm pretty sure if we find some old footage, we'll, we'll figure out you too were lumpy and bumpy and frustrated. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, yeah. Sleep has always, yeah, sleep has been a harder one for me to figure out. I feel like I'm still figuring it out into my 30s or so, late 20s. But, um, yeah, it is really important. Is it, it's, it's so important. And, yeah. it, and it is I think it's important to be open and honest and aware like you are and just saying you're still figuring it out because mm-hmm. it sometimes it is actually physiologically and environmentally impossible to get the sleep you know you need, yeah. such as if you have a newborn baby, you can't. Mm-hmm. If you're mothering or, or fathering, you just don't, uh, such as if you're chasing a master's or, and your deadline is coming up any second or you are in your fourth year of medical medical residency. I mean, there's a thousand, or you've decided you want to get a night job because you need, you know, I could go on. The scenario is coming out the wazoo. I think at the time, it's just really important to recognize that if something else takes priority, recognize that and recognize what that priority is. How long is that conceivably going to last? And is it important enough? Because mm-hmm. we are talking about your health. Yeah. Right. So crash and burn. Everyone hits a wall eventually. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I know for sure. Yes. Hit a few walls in my time. <laughs> Haven't, we all? <laughs> Haven't we all? So I'm wondering about skip because is that, do you feel, I want to ask about cross training. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, you know, was that sort of the beginning of integrating body weight exercises or do you feel like you still, you know, um, I have to say that it was the beginning of of recognizing that I wasn't going to turn into this freakishly, hugely muscled monstrosity of a woman just because I went to the gym and that it wasn't me giving up my dignity by going to the gym. I had a lot of issues built around it that were mostly about people constantly saying things to me that they thought were complimentary that I took as an insult. Mm. And I began to realize that A, muscles are beautiful And B, muscles mean you're doing something. And C, muscles mean you can do something. And I started to, I guess, that that youthful process of being 20 at that point. I think when I met him, I just turned 21. I have to say I evolved and matured hugely overnight through meeting him and going to the... and, And seeing his undisguised, almost lust for his girlfriend to have my body. But again, I stress, not in that way. Because he loved her so much and she was so frustrated and wanting so badly to achieve something that was a really tough standard for her. Mm. She even said to me one time she came up and I I have to just reiterate, she was a very slight woman and she, her little belly was sticking out and she looked at me and she kind of looked a bit green around the gills. She said, I just swallowed two protein shakes so that I can, you know, hopefully get, you know, like you. And I just burst out laughing. I said, oh, my goodness. I said, I haven't eaten for three hours. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm definitely going in the opposite. And she looked at me just horrified. And I said, I think both of us need to step back from this moment. <laughs> and it was that's what I mean about the maturation process. I think I realized that because I had purposely put myself in an environment that was 
not going to embrace the way I naturally looked. It was not hardwired to embrace the way I naturally looked. And that's okay. I'm not, I certainly don't harbor any bitterness towards the ballet world. I think that some of the people that are drawn to the ballet world and some of the people that take power positions in the ballet world and many of the things that are said out loud are hideous, Mm -hmm. odious, repugnant, cruel, and damaging. And I certainly was a victim of many of those but not by my core teacher. And I, at that point at 20 and 21, I was kind of in charge of my own destiny at that point. And I feel as though it was just the first time as so sort of silly as it seems that I just had somebody say, wow, you're really cool looking. And I, I, I guess I needed that. Hmm. I guess I needed it to have no strings attached too, because everything else seems to have strings attached. It's either an overture to a relationship or else it's an overture to, so you get to come to the front and demonstrate this exercise or it's an, you know what I mean? This was just kind of, wow, can you talk to my girlfriend? <laughs> so I was having a conversation. What's good. So, you know, it, it was, um, it was a time in which I embraced a different way of thinking and in, in embracing that different way of thinking, I think I also realized that my whole life has been cross-training. Because even as a kid, even though I, I absolutely was against it, if you asked me, I'd say, absolutely not. You don't go to a gym. You don't swim. It's just going to build wrong muscles, blah, blah. Mm. I still rode my 10-speed bicycle everywhere because I didn't get my driver's license for so long because I was too busy dancing. And then when I was 16, I was going to get it right away. My dad suddenly decided he, he pulled the plug on that. Because he was terrified of having me on the road, not because of my ability, but because of everyone else's and because his mom died in a car crash. So it was very emotionally based and I had to respect it. And so I couldn't help out with the driving to ballet. So I rode my bicycle everywhere. So I was cross training at a young age. I also lived out in the country. So everything you did was distance oriented. You're either walking for you know three kilometers to get to someplace because you have no other choice or you're riding your bicycle, or you're galloping across a field, because why not? The wind's in your hair, and the clouds are out, and there's the smell of strawberries in the field. Um, And now, on a formal level, since my daughter's been born, which is coming up on, you know, eight and a half years, I have cross-trained. Yes, absolutely. I ride a bicycle or go for at least a 35-minute walk almost every single day, Part of it is actual mental health just for the fresh air because I because my job is so indoors in a sweaty studio with fluorescent lighting and it's somewhat dingy and dark. I need that vitamin D and then oxygen. I also need nature because I love it. And I think that as I'm aging, I'm noticing that my natural muscular physique is now demanding totally different things of me. And it's basically saying, if you don't keep doing something of a fairly demanding nature, we're just going to basically sag off your body and make you feel horrendously weak and you won't be happy so yeah I would say since my 20s I have incorporated something of a formal cross-training nature and again it's very personal there are some things I can tell you factually that if you do swim Mm -hmm. you're not going to be burning as many calories quote-unquote as you would be if you were running or if you were riding a bicycle very fast for 45 minutes or if you were walking very fast for an hour Uh, you have to swim quite a distance and be quite an adept swimmer, mm. and it will also cause uh, latissimus dorsi and trapezius buildup in the upper back shoulders that may impinge your ability to do portabra if we're talking about it versus dancing. Um, if you're going to take on something of a more combat nature, like the martial art forms, I think that a lot of them are incredibly cathartic and and wonderfully geared towards you know aerobic activity and adrenaline and many things that a lot of a lot of the more feet qualities of dance don't allow us to experience 
However, I've noticed that almost all of them rotate the hip in to achieve any of the kicking actions. Mm -hmm. And that hurts the hip flexors like no tomorrow. Mm. I've experienced some of them in my time and have to say, yeah, my hip flexors, because they normally don't hurt at all at dance. Mm. And that was a, that was a wake up call. I also did some boxing training for a while in my mid early, early to mid thirties. I was actually going through a very angry time of my life and I needed the, I needed to be around the testosterone. I needed to be around trained testosterone. I needed to be around uh, people that were really trying to achieve something again, you know, to box professionally or at an Olympic level is obscene training. It's so rigorous. It makes ballet look right on par, quite honestly. Uh, I really wanted the workout though. I really wanted the aerobic workout because dance is anaerobic. Mm. And I made a deal with the boxing coach. Again, he looked at me rather lustfully, again, not to do with relationships or sexuality at all, but just kind of, wow, do you want me to train you? And I started thinking, this is the coolest thing. And I actually, now I just take it as this wonderful compliment. But uh, I said to him, absolutely, I do want you to train me. And I'll even get into the ring by myself or with somebody holding up pads, but I'm not fighting anybody and I don't want anyone fighting me. That's not, I really was absolutely strict about that. And I maintained that for a couple of years, hmm. but then I had a shoulder injury from a bus crash years earlier and it started to exacerbate it. So I had to uh, remove myself from that arena, which is too bad because I really did enjoy it. Hmm. I think my lungs were the most, oh, they were amazing. I remember taking deep breaths at that time and almost feeling like my lungs had three, three flexors inside them going, Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like a giant set of ribs that just kept expanding. They, I really, I'd never been that aerobically fit in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. So there's something for everybody. Yeah. And so the, because hmm, that's kind of another thing to figure out for yourself too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. It is. I think uh, a lot of dancers are drawn to things like Pilates and gyrotonics and yoga that seems to be a, a really big draw I feel that uh, Pilates is a lot like dancing in, in to me because of uh, so much of it coming from a, a inner visceral I, I'm really trying to steer away from using the word core but a core strength um, uh, albeit it is an exercise form I, I have nothing negative to say about it. it it's not for me I think that if I made you know, any more core strength, yeah, would be negative, <laughs> negative, as we say, <laughs> childbirth was already an adventure enough as it was. Uh, and then as far as gyrotonics, I've never experienced it. So I can't speak to that. But in watching footage on it, it looks very much like dancing. Mm-hmm. It looks very much like a, a controlled circular method of dancing, which is lovely. Uh, yoga, I think has got so many healing properties possible within it and and the potential for it to be life-changing I think is is enormous and I certainly can say I know several people that have experienced that I have tried it only a few times in my life and we we I'm speaking about myself and yoga didn't have a symbiotic relationship we didn't have a bond that that came naturally maybe when I'm older uh, and I I'm not saying that sarcastically I, I I just don't it's not for me at this time in my life but I certainly see the value in it for so many human beings and and think that's marvelous and wonderful I think we all need to find our own way of finding that inner 
quiet space and that breath and that centering and that balance and the chi and all the thousands of things that people call it. But I think we all have, again, our own path to that. And again, I would never tell someone you should, because it's really our own. I, I can offer, oh, well, I've tried this and this and this, maybe and then, you know, so many people will go and shake their head and say, I no, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's really, it's a personal, it's a personal journey. So you got to try lots of stuff mm-hmm. and be curious and observative. Oh, absolutely. But observative? What? I like that word. Observative. Let's keep it. Let's keep it. Observative. Right. Yeah. 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 Observative. Observative. Observant. Ooh, we're gonna we should take a break <laughs> and we will look in the archaic okay english dictionary to find out observative we are gonna find observative okay Done. i've been here before <laughs> you have we've had little battles about words in the past that's true okay let's do it done should we make a bet <laughs> all right audience okay. you hear it here we are not going to have a bet because i don't believe in gambling <laughs> A strong feeling against gambling. But Alyssa and I feel that we should maybe sign off now because we're going to go check the archaic English dictionary, apparently. Let's go have a look. Okay, let's have a look. Thank you, Sarah. Oh, you're so welcome, Alyssa.